voila. Voila. Oh, yeah, dude. Let's do a fucking podcast, dude. You're just like South African all of us. I watch Hubs and Shaw. Right. <laughs> and one of the main characters South African just, yeah, dude. We're gonna go get the cars, dude. I'm like, could you not have just hired a South African guy? Yeah. It's clearly an American guy being like, oh, dude, I'm from the South Africa. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, are you good? God, yeah. yeah that's Hey guys, welcome back to the Arthritis Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works, where each week we take some from pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. Hello. My name is Ben. Oh, we're back, baby. We had a week off last week because we someone was very sick. It was yeah. me this time. Everyone else has been sick recently and I've been kind of cruising through and I just mm. got hammered last week. My body <laughs> was, was like, like three, two, right, one, done. David's turn. Yeah, what was, are we going to give him now? It was, uh, my, my, I, I drew the tarot card that was like, this boy going to die for a week. Um, which was good because it meant that I got to sit on the film we're covering this week for a little bit of time, which kind of gave me an opportunity to pause and reflect and try and decide if I actually think it's good. So yeah, it just know. meant that I was able to procrastinate watching the it film. It meant that Ben put it off for the two last weeks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. As always. Look, um, we're talking about all kind of uh, films and uh, games and TV that are kind of crafted specifically by one person at the moment. So this month is all about auteurs or people that kind of are presented as being auteurs. So we thought, why not go to the source of the well, talk about a Tarantino film, talk about yep. the first Tarantino film, because this week we're talking about the style of Reservoir Dogs. The Dogs and the Reservoir. This is the Tarantino did film. Timmy fall down the well? No. Reservoir Dog? He did. <laughs> Timmy's in Tim Roth? He did. <laughs> so Reservoir Dogs obviously is a 1992 American crime film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino in his feature-length film debut. He basically used the money that he made on his previous two scripts to fund this, pitched it to a bunch of people, managed to get enough money, and they didn't use most of it. Right. Which is kind of interesting. There's like two sets in this entire film there's two sets i think they only paid for one of them Actually, <laughs> i have some like fun trivia for oh, a lot of this film it's just like it was a weird production because yeah. they were trying to cut costs for no reason even though we had a bunch of money i can imagine the half of those half of those sets are probably just abandoned oh like a lot of it was just like stuff they could find that friends they knew owned like it was that kind of right. thing it was very much like an independent film it's obviously like it's one of the I, th- I think it's the the highest rated independent film on Rotten Tomatoes. At Technically the moment. independent. Well, it is it is <laughs> independent. It was his, and then Pulp Fiction was obviously his studio because that was then Miramax bought. It's a long story, but <laughs> but like the TLDR is that it's it's revered as one of the best films of all time by a lot of people. Right. Um. It launched Tarantino's career as a kind of auteur director. Yeah. Pulp Fiction was the follow up, which obviously solidified that. Before we get into the summary, what, what 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 did you what did you think? Like, okay, obviously everyone talks about this as being one of the greatest films of all time, but but what did you think going back to it? Because I had a, I don't know, I've got some mixed feelings, man. No, I mean, it's okay. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, right? Yeah, I don't think it's, I don't know. It's a good film. I enjoyed it. Starts rough though, doesn't it? Uh, that first scene is so dense when they're talking about tipping and then they're talking about the meaning of- I think that's fine. Like that's very like- It's very Tarantino. It's very, yeah, it's very Tarantino. He starts all those films like that. He starts all his films in, like, a diner, to be honest. At least the ones set in sort of, like, recently modern times. It, it's, yeah. Definitely. I think it's a, it's an okay film. It's a fairly simple premise, and it's it's very much just a character drama. Like, mm-hmm. you say it's a crime film. It's not really a crime film. There are people that do crime. Well, it's 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 a heist film. It's, it's the interesting parts of a heist film without... The heist. Yeah, without the heist. Yeah. And while a lot of people will say that the heist is the, you know, the interesting part, 
that stems from like Ocean's Eleven being a really good film. Mm-hmm. Usually, the most interesting part is what happens after. And this is just like, what if that's the whole film? What's well, like the before and after, like the the build up and then the only end. like like not not even much of a before. You you see a bit of I mean, we we see how all the characters get hired into the job. I guess but vaguely, you see how most of them get. hired. But that would be like the first act of the heist film. It's just out of sequence, I guess. Yeah, but you and you don't have that. You don't have as much density oh, so given to the there's no like heist planning i guess yeah. is what you mean like there's no yeah they don't they don't set aside any time to be like this is how they plan the but, heist yeah they they show it a little bit but it's 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 brief and it's more just to i don't know like develop the characters rather than to develop the heist itself mm-hmm. like there's no real effort put into the heist it's, it's pretty it's literally thing. just like even they like describe it as just like a really just walk in zero you know, like zero they resistance. Rob a bank. They're all no, they rob like a diamond place. They steal a diamond. Yeah, but it's from a bank, I assume. No, it's from a um Oh, like from a diamond deposit. Yeah, it's from like a diamond seller. Which is and they're like, Yeah, they're insured up the arse, so like they'll just give it to you. They shouldn't have any resistance. Right, right. That's that whole yeah, that, that yeah. conversation about yeah. Which is which weirdly enough is part of a conversation that is had in pulp fiction. A lot of weird Tarantino crossover. Um but let's let's get through the summary. I just wanted to say, like, going back to this this time. I saw this when, so my dad's a big Tarantino fan, so I saw a lot of his work at an age that was probably far too young. <laughs> uh, like, I saw Tarantino's work and The Matrix at an age that most people should not see those mm. films at. Um, and it's why I'm the person I am now. Uh, uh-huh. And a big part of Reservoir Dogs when I was a kid is I didn't really get it. Like, I understood what was happening, but yeah. I didn't get what made it good. And coming it's, back to it now, I do. Yeah, I think the first time I watched this, I didn't really get it either. Um, but yeah, coming back a second time, I think there's, like, films that make this film easier to watch in the sense that, you know, you see other films which sort of will take things from this and you kind of get, you build like that language on like an easier palette and then you come back to this, which is just a bit raw and a bit coarse. When you get to things like Pulp Fiction, Tarantino's found his voice in a very kind of clear, succinct way. Right. This is very much like unfiltered, like just raw kind of- It's a bit pretentious. It's a little pretentious. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know, it's, it's less funny. So, I don't know, it's coming back to it this time is a bit tough, but- I definitely enjoyed it. We'll kind of get to some of my more complex thoughts after the summary. Uh, let's just jump into the summary because uh, it, it's a little complicated. I'm try, try to keep it as simple as possible, even though not much happens. Eight men eat breakfast at a Los Angeles diner before they carry out a diamond heist. Mob boss Joe Cabot and his son and underboss, nice guy Eddie Cabot, are responsible for planning the job. Everyone else uses aliases. Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Brown, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink, and Mr. White. After the heist, White flees with Orange, who was shot during the escape. At one of Joe's warehouses, White and Orange rendezvous with Pink, who believes the job was a setup and the police were waiting for them. White informs him that Brown is dead, Blue and Blonde are missing, and Blonde murdered several civilians during the heist. White is furious that Joe, his old friend, would employ such a psychopath. Pink confides he's hidden the diamonds somewhere nearby. He argues with White over whether or not they should get medical attention for Orange before Blonde arrives with a kidnapped policeman, Marvin Nash. Sometime earlier, Blonde meets Joe and recruits him for the heist. In the present, White and Pink beat Nash for information. Eddie arrives and orders them to retrieve the diamonds and ditch the getaway cars, leaving Blonde in charge of Nash and Orange. Nash denies any knowledge whatsoever of the heist, but Blonde ignores him and resumes the torture, cutting off Nash's ear and attempting to set him on fire before being shot dead by Orange, who then reveals to Nash he is an undercover police officer. The story now flashes back to Orange, real name Freddy, and his infiltration into the crew of thieves. The story follows him as he uses an incredibly elaborate tale of a drug delivery gone wrong to gain acceptance and befriends Mr. White, who takes Orange under his wing as a veteran thief. 
When Eddie, Pink, and White return, Orange tries to convince them that Blonde planned to kill them all and steal the diamonds. Eddie impulsively kills Nash and accuses Orange of lying, since Blonde was loyal to his father. Joe then arrives with news that the police have killed Blue. He's about to execute Orange, whom he suspects is the traitor, but White intervenes and holds Joe at gunpoint, asserting wrongly that Orange is not the cop. Eddie aims at White, creating a Mexican standoff. <laughs> all three fire, both Cabots are killed, and White and Orange are hit. Pink, the only uninjured person, takes the diamonds and flees. As White cradles the dying Orange in his arms, Pink can be heard being arrested by the police, and Orange confesses he is an undercover officer. White sobs and presses his gun to Orange's forehead. Police storm the warehouse in order White to drop his gun before we cut to black and hear gunshots. Credits. It's like, it's not much happens, but it's no. very dense. Uh, in the Mexican standoff, does, 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 doesn't Pink shoot? Does Pink shoot? What's his name? White holds Joe at gunpoint. Yeah. Um, Eddie aims at White, which creates the Mexican standoff because Orange also has his gun out, I think. Is, who's Orange aiming at? <laughs> I think I Orange Eddie then because Eddie's Eddie. the only one that doesn't have a yeah gun Orange is either. aiming at Eddie. okay must be yeah. and then because ev- yeah because then Pink comes out like Pink just crawls out from underneath the ramp well he's not doing any yeah he just gets it he yeah. just leaves um, yeah I don't think he would shoot Eddie honestly anyway. fair enough um no, I'm pretty sure Orange shoots Eddie because my understanding is that Eddie's no maybe he shoots Joe because Joe's the only one that he needs to not get away I don't know it doesn't no why shoot Joe why shoot shoots Joe. Joe that's right yeah. <laughs> But again, like Welcome con- to this film, that's like a one second thing as well. It's just so like, quick. Boom, boom, well, this whole film is that it's just these yeah. punchy, quick, like one, two, three, four. Yeah. And like, I think if you blink, I think this is probably why I didn't get it as a kid. Blinking, it, you miss it. Yeah. It requires so much attention to the dialogue and what's going on. I think, like, unlike Pulp Fiction, where the conversations are just like padding, they're just dudes talking while other things are happening. Yeah. And they're really clever and intelligent and funny, but they're not really like intrinsically related to the story. A lot of it's just other conversations whereas i think with reservoir dogs it's very much everything is about the heist at all times except for that opening diner sequence so i think if you don't pay attention it's just like you i I looked away for two minutes to um (laughs) to to check my phone and i looked back and i was like i have to rewind because i missed like they're in a whole different conversation yeah um it's it's just so dense and i guess probably due to the runtime it's pretty short um it's yeah like an it's hour and a half it's an hour and a half which is like pretty short for Probably, tarantino i guess for me when we're talking about auteurs and like tarantino in particular a lot of the things that became trademarks you can kind of see starting to develop in this yeah we've got the boot shot the boot shot <laughs> the boot um, shots in there <laughs> there's no there's no women's feet in this so that that hasn't made its way in no. yet that's a pulp fiction but i mean like obviously one of the things that is big in his filmmaking is like concealing like a really big crucial event and just not showing it so like the bank heist in this um the boxing match in Pulp Fiction, um, the uh, incident that goes wrong in The Hateful Eight, like all those kinds of things. And while originally while originally not showing the heist in the script was budgetary, Tarantino said since, quote, I always liked the idea of never seeing it, and I kept that. Although it's not exactly Rashomon, you do get a sense of the characters' different perspectives when they talk about what happened. For the first half of the picture, you wonder if you'll ever see the heist. In the second half, you realize the movie is about other things, end quote. One of the things I wonder about rewatching it is what is the film about? Like, you know, when you watch other Tarantino films, like Pulp Fiction, I mean, it's a touchstone because it's, it's his big film after that, right? Yeah. Even like Kill Bill is about like revenge, ostensibly. Um, Pulp it's Fiction, just like a genre bash. It's a genre. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And it's great. Like um, Django is also about like kind of revenge, but like Southern um, profiteering and like black exploitation, those kinds of things. Reservoir Dogs, like, I, I don't know what it's trying to 
say. One of my big questions that I have is he's obscuring this heist and it's just this kind of low budget, cool, crime, clever thing where everyone dies at the end. Like, what's it even about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's like I I feel like it is it's it's kind of just like a screen test. Like it's it's like a demo reel. Right. And you know, like the the actors in it are all I wouldn't say well known, but they're all like they're all good actors. Especially what's Mr. Pink. He obviously goes on and does things. But like even just, you know, the decision to not give them any names and just call them like, you know, by their aliases. Mm-hmm. You never find well, at least for a few of them. Most of them you don't find their actual names. Mm-hmm. It just seems like he was just like, I just want to have just these characters kind of bash heads with every with each other mm-hmm. based on like this situation that you never actually see. For me, it's very similar to uh, 12 Angry Men. 12 Angry Men is this, I want to say like 50s, maybe it's earlier. Late, I think it's late 50s. It? Late 50s film about, uh, it's based on a stage play or at least there have been stage plays done on it. And it's 12 guys who are on a jury to convict this like young latino kid it's implied he's like mexican of like murder and the idea is that they have to get like a unanimous decision on like whether guilty or not guilty because that's like how the law works or Mm -hmm. how like a jury works the premise is is that one guy doesn't believe he's guilty he doesn't think he's not guilty but he just doesn't believe he's guilty and everyone else is just like let's just call him let's just do it guilty and get out of here but he's but they you know they go to a vote and it's like all right 11 of us think he's guilty and one of us thinks he's not guilty and the whole film is just it's him convincing everyone else well not him convincing everyone else but them just going through the motions and like like the film like early in the film when they do the first vote and one of them says i don't think he's guilty it's just like let's sit down and talk about it that's all they do for the rest of the film they just sit down and talk about it and slowly over time they all sort of come they all realize oh you know it's not 100% 100% that he's guilty so I'm going to say not guilty mm-hmm. and that's like the progression throughout the film yeah. for me with this it's a similar thing where it's just like it's just group of characters in a room yeah. <laughs> some of them aren't there some of them are there's been some incident that has preceded them and they know that, that one of them's a snake yeah that's, and that's yeah. that's the that's the thing it's just like you one of them's a cop same conceit as hateful eight actually yeah which is interesting at the like to dovetail I guess your thought there it's interesting that he started his career this way, went huge and big budget with Django Unchained and like all these big, th- and then was like, okay, let's do something simple again. Bunch of dudes in a room, eight guys in a room, one of them. I think Hateful Eight is a bit more contrived. Like for me, Definitely. Reservoir Dogs is so simple. Like it's, and they, it's just, it immediately tells you like the stakes and it immediately sets up sort of these characters. And I think the, um, the breakfast scene is really important for that, even though it's like completely just random and mm-hmm. like a lot of people kind of consider it as just like, Tarantino like, proving a point. Yeah, like, it's, I can you know, it's the like it's the uh, and you know the fact that Tarantino was in it and then his character is immediately killed off. You're just like he just wanted to give himself a cameo. It's just like yeah, but the breakfast scene is pretty important because it it means you're not just thrust immediately into this random fucking warehouse with a dude bleeding out. You're just like oh that's a bit weird. It's like it actually gives you a bit of like a like a standing point. Uh, yeah, and and it also means that you've seen all the faces. Like okay, so it means you've seen all the faces of both the robbers and Joe. Yeah, like like it means. That that when people start arriving, you go, I kind of vaguely remember them. Yeah, 12 Angry Men actually starts the same way, where it starts out with them sitting in the jurors section of the of the um of the courthouse, and then they move into the room. Which is interesting you mentioned that, because one of the things that Tarantino does, and we'll get to it in a bit, is the main thing he's good at is referencing and using it to to kind of synthesize something new. But I guess touching on your earlier point, like there is something very rustic about this, where it does well, it does have like a lot of his kind of the start of his trademark stylistic features. 
one of the things in this that took a lot of people off guard is the violence. <laughs> Looking at it now, like... It's just so much fun, Jan! Oh, my God. Sorry, that's a deep cut reference. Fuck. Looking at it now, though, like, it didn't surprise me that much because, you know, like, we... Obviously, violence now is very different. Like, I played Ninja Gaiden. This is, like, small fry. Um, <laughs> but there is something, like, awkward and kind of not... Not like when you watch The Walking Dead, for instance, that is a brutal show to watch because the violence is just very visceral. There's something awkwardly non-staged about the violence in this where like the ear cutting scene in particular caused a lot of viewers at the time to actually leave the film. Um, similar to what you experienced in Alien. Uh, was it? Which was with Prometheus. The, Prometheus. Except with the-, the problem with Pro- so with Prometheus, they show it. They show it happening. In mm-hmm. this one, they they pan away, and you just see his gross ear for the rest of the but, film. But for, at the time, that was a lot for people. This at was the, the time, yeah. Run. But I think you know this is a case of like nowadays, the violence in this film is like it's still pretty like rough and like still like heavy. But it's 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 almost a bit. I don't know. It's kind of like how Kill Bill is also very violent, but it's just kind of really jokey. Well, kill, like you kill, cut, like someone's arm gets cut off, and it's like a fucking sprinkler. Right. But I, I guess the difference would be that in that it's it's trying to be those kind of wushu films. I guess with this, it's not it's not emulating anything. It's just him being like, I did a violent scene that was trying to have an impact. I, for me, at least, the thing that really drove it home was that uh, Kirk Boltz, who plays the cop, he ad libbed the line, "I've got a little kid at home." He added that just like during one of the takes, and yeah. as as you know, with Tarantino, he keeps a lot of the whiffs in where people like start different lines and like then they fuck it up and they keep going. So like a classic one that everyone points to is in Pulp Fiction when John Travolta crashes the car into the front of the his drug friend's house, and he starts to t- start a sentence where he's like. I've got his wife and then he fucks it up and he just starts again. They keep that whiff in because it adds like to this scene. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. But I mean, that's like an ad lib. That's a cool ad lib line that just makes that scene really drive home. And in 1992, in a Seattle Times article, John Hartle was talking to Tarantino about this kind of thing. And the fact that people were walking out and if he was bothered by it, because as a filmmaker, you obviously want people to see your whole film. He would not be bothered so by Tarantino it. So Tarantino said, quote, for some people, the violence or the rudeness is a mountain they can't climb. That's okay. It's not their cup of tea, but I am affecting them. I want that scene to be disturbing, end quote. And I guess if we're talking about, like, violence as a kind of prevailing theme in Tarantino's work, which it <laughs> yeah, kind of is. is. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, to the point where it's, like... And, and I guess, like, awkward violence, too. Like, the, the fact that Vincent Vega gets, like, killed on... Like, coming out of a toilet in Pulp Fiction. Um, like, the... Yeah. The, 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 there's a lot of violence in, in these films that are just... They don't really... It's it's not Hollywood violence. It's just, like, kind of violence in weird places to weird people, you know? Yeah, well, like, Orange gets shot just by a lady in a car. Just, like, some... Just He just gets shot. Like, it's... And it's, it's you know... And when, uh... When, uh, when Pink's running away from the cops, which is one of the funniest scenes in this entire film. It's incredible. Just that, that crazy, like, tracked pan... With him, like, running, sprinting down the street, and they somehow got this camera following him. They must have just had a dude in a car holding this camera I've as never, steady as I've never seen someone genuinely look like they're sprinting on film. Oh, yeah, before. it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, like, in films, it's like it's like Tom Cruise doing a run. But that's a guy just, like, yeah. being like, I don't want to die. Just hoping it, yeah. yeah. And, like, incredible. he just gets away scot-free, because yeah. it's just like, he doesn't get shot. It's but, amazing. Yeah, it's that, the kind of... And there's really, like... And when he's in the car, like, at the start of the film, when he's just, like in the car just like squirming and putting and like fucking screaming for yeah, his life just tim roth belling belly yeah and yeah. you realize later on that that's kind of him putting it on to kind of he's just like all right i've been shot let's like try to use this as a way to get more information out of this guy and he's just putting blood everywhere it's which just, which really works in hindsight yeah at the time i think it's a scene that that i was thinking about this when i watched it this time 
if if I watched the diner scene, then I saw Tim Roth doing that acting in the backseat of a car, I would not have watched the rest of this film. If it wasn't Tarantino. It's still good, like, and I love it in hindsight now. But like, man, that would put me off so much if someone was like, "Watch it, you'll love it." I'm like, that's when I turn it off. <laughs> like, no, I'm good. You're doing a bad American accent, <laughs> pretending to bleed out in a car. Like, yeah. fuck, it's funny. Yeah, you mentioned before that Tarantino was like full of references to the point where it's kind of obnoxious. I've just got a quick list here. Um, some of them from Reservoir Dogs, some of them from elsewhere, and we'll kind of talk about what we think he does with them. Sure. So, like, the most obvious one that everyone is aware of is uh, The Bride and Kill Bill wears Bruce Lee's yellow tracksuit, which, like, yeah, obvious reference. Some of the coolest stuff that I love in, in Pulp Fiction as well is um, You'll Be a Woman Now plays as Mia Wallace prepares to do Vince Vegas cocaine, which is a signal to the audience that they're both about to go through this huge traumatic experience. The, the one that I that's really fucked up in this film is Stuck in the Middle with You, which plays during the torture scene as diegetic music but it's weirdly metatextual so there's there's two layers to that well there's like more to, more than two layers but the two layers that i picked out was it literally describes what's going on in the scene so blonde is torturing marvin nash and marvin nash can't get away yeah but then it also literally describes the effect tarantino is imparting to the audience where they're stuck in this fucking warehouse in real time, <laughs> suffering with these men in the room they can't seem to get out of. You know when you're like, it's just a cool, like, it works on, like, both yeah. levels. It's also very American Psycho, despite coming out before American Psycho. It does I feel have like that vibe to it, doesn't it? it? When it started happening, I was just like, this is just American Psycho. I mean, came out before American Psycho. You know what the book Tarantino doesn't just read. Before Tarantino doesn't, he doesn't read. He doesn't read books. He, he, does he watches music films. And films. He watches um, films. A lot of music, so... A lot of films. <laughs> he, he does a lot with films and music in particular, and he has a lot of really obscure references that kind of form a lot of the foundation for how he yeah. constructs his films. The code names in this film are lifted wholesale from 1974's Taking of Pelham 123. Like, literally right. wholesale, like, one one for one yeah. from that film, which I love. I love that he doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> I'm gonna just use it. Another, just a quick list of other references in Reservoir Dogs. Marlon Brando, Charles Bronson, Donald Trump, City on Fire, The Great Escape, Do the Right Thing, The Lost Boys, The Thing, Silver Surfer, Breathless, True Romance, Honey West, The DeFranco Family, and Straw Dogs. That's not all of them. Those are just the big ones that I picked up. Wow. Everything he does is like intertextual. And it's one thing that he's really good at that a lot of directors suck eggs at. I, I think the trick with him is that all of his references layer onto each other to not be like call outs. You know how, like, sometimes when you watch a film yeah. and they have a reference in there, they're like, this is a reference to... Well, it's like you know? the, there was a, um, recently I Hate Everything's YouTube. He put out a video about the, um, you know, like, the the epic movie and, like, the dis oh. like disaster movie uh, and the, date that, movie. That weird period where everything had to have a those, parody Those, like, movie. parody movies. Yeah. yeah, like, those, like, the references in those films are so fucking painful. Mm. Where it's just like, hey, do you know Britney Spears? And you're like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's like, remember when she shaved her head? Like, yeah, I guess. It's like, <clears throat> have you seen 300? You're like, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> like, I did. Like, whatever a reaction to a, to a reference is like, yeah, I guess. So it's probably not a good reference. <laughs> I, so what is it about the way that Tarantino does it you think that works? Is it just is it just the denseness of them that like... Because I, I think you could watch the whole of Reservoir Dogs, not know any of the references and still enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And like with the... Probably like the most egregious one is the the Kill Bill Bruce Lee outfit. And I think with that, because it's it's not like... It's not like she, you know, she doesn't like flip through the... She's not like flipping through a wardrobe and then like sees like the 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 fucking the yellow and black outfit and goes, haha, I'm not gonna wear that one today right. and then just she like just keeps turns going. Up in Japan wearing she it. just yeah, she yeah. just rocks up wearing it. You're just like, isn't that 
yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, whatever. I suppose combine with like, yeah, combine with the genre bash of it, oh, and the because it's the, the yeah, yeah. Every, it's it's everything about it. That, yeah. And you go, okay, well, it's a kung fu film, and but it's, well, it's, it's a western. Sorry, it's, <laughs> that well, one's the, a western. Well, the first, the first one's a western set in Japan. The second one's a kung fu film set, set in America. In America. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, I, I guess too, like, and and I'm gonna talk about the show that that we try not to talk about. Oh no, it's happening. It makes me ah! angry. Um, but but I guess aside from Tarantino and maybe David Fincher, one of the people who is an actual gen like i guess next to tarantino i put them on kind of the same shelf tarantino fincher and probably dan Harmon are three people who can use this kind of intertextuality and reference not as a cool call out reference but to actually layer and do something with the text they're working with so in particular i'm thinking of community where um if you haven't watched community at least the first two seasons every episode and gag is like somehow like a reference to a tv show or a film or like music or something yeah. but it uses it to like synthesize some new meaning um or, or do something or parody like but it's it never feels like you're watching a show that's going look at all the tv and movies i've watched it feels like you're watching a show that goes isn't star wars really weird and dumb and sexist <laughs> or you're watching a show but then it also progresses the characters there, there, there's like a few dumb jokes in community which i think just come from the fact that it's more modern modern like the, the beetlejuice joke right is, is pretty that's just like a straight call mm-hmm, out like mm-hmm. remember beetlejuice but then then some episodes in particular like i mean like the paintball episodes all use a different film genre as their like kind of contextual layer yeah. so like the first one is like hunger games the second one is like uh like a western spaghetti western and then the part two of that is like star wars like they're kind of they do something interesting with it and they use it to actually progress the characters and the ideas in the show, not just to be references. Which brings me to Rick and Morty. Oh, no! I know. Um, we had such a good streak going of not mentioning that fucking TV show. The reason I mention it is that I think it genuinely does this well. Um, it's Harmon at his best, where it's non-stop references that are so layered on layered on layered on layered that a lot of the time, like, you can't even identify the original reference. Um, one of the obvious examples that I always point to is, like, the Council of Ricks. So they have that interdimensional Council of Ricks. Yeah. That's a reference to a f- to the Fantastic Four's interdimensional... Um, Jesus fucking yeah, Christ. Yeah, the Fantastic Four. <laughs> to, to the Council um, of Mr. Fantastic, where, like, because he's the smartest man in the universe, theoretically, um, they form this kind of autocratic government. <laughs> and um, it's one of those things where, like, it, Reed Richards, um, who is Mr. Fantastic, like, he's so morally righteous that... They form this intergalactic kind of cross-dimensional government. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, and the read that we follow in the canonical stories is sort of, he's the least conse- consequentialist. So everyone else is like, we got to do things for the for the good of everyone. But our read is like, I only do things that, that are- Just like, literally Rick and That are Morty. only good. Well, Rick and Morty's the inverse. So it's like, Rick is the most chaotic neutral. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just like, references like that, that, that you don't need to know that to enjoy it. <laughs> Fucking chaotic but, neutral. <laughs> but, when you do, but when you do know that, it, it adds a layer of like, more not cleverness but you get more meaning or or there's more you pick up on more jokes so like there's something to it that actually does something else and i want that's not true though of of so many writers like i was thinking of jj abrams when i was writing this so he did the force awakens the star wars film which was universally praised for being this cool like star wars from next generation it brings all this stuff into a modern context as opposed to like ryan johnson's last jedi which was criticized for taking all that stuff and doing something new with it you either, if you're going to be this intertextual person, you either have to do something dull and retread ground, or you do something new that everyone hates. <laughs> it seems like the happy middle is no one. Like, I mean, I guess like maybe Star Trek 2009, which was a soft reboot, but also everyone really liked. The point I'm trying to get to is that when you are this intertextual and this referential, like Tarantino is in a lot of his films, and like Reservoir Dogs is subtextually, 
if you don't have a point to doing it, so like, you know, when, when JJ Abrams did it, it was like a nostalgia trip. When Ryan Johnson yeah. did it, I guess he was trying to prove a point. I don't know. Unless you have a reason to do it, it either sucks and is bad and boring or everyone hates it. But somehow Tarantino escapes that curve with the way he does it. And I'm really worried that that's an art that's being lost where unless you, you know, I mean, when we watched eighth grade and that reference Rick and Morty, it wasn't referencing Rick and Morty for the sake of Rick and Morty. It was referencing it for a current TV show. Yeah. And as like the cultural, it was, yeah, it was more of like a cultural thing. We were just like, okay, it, it places it somewhere. It's not just like, well, do you know Rick and Morty? I guess I'm worried uh-huh, that a lot of references are like that now. We're like, do you guys know about yeah. this? Remember this? And you're like, yeah, we, we, we do. Well, like, I, th- I think with, when, when you have sort of just like textual reference where it's, whether it be like sort of like a, a style or like, you know, even like something as small as like a costume or like even just like a mu- musical motif. Mm-hmm. I think musical motifs are like probably one of the most kind of like underrated reference kind of bits uh-huh. of bits and bobs. Probably one of the weirdest references I've kind of come like picked up on is is this monster and Monster Hunter? Yes, I I play Monster Hunter these days. Is this monster and Monster Hunter? Where you've changed a lot in the last few months. You play which, Ubisoft games and Monster yeah, Hunter. It'll it'll you'll be like doing your thing and it'll just randomly randomly appear and you fuck your shit up. Like that's what the monster does. And the music that plays when it attacks you is like very reminiscent, or at least it uses a similar synth and has a similar chord progression to the original Godzilla theme, which makes sense because they're both Japanese properties. Mm-hmm. But it's such a subtle thing where I'm just like, oh, I see what they're doing because this this monster that like randomly just comes in and fucks his shit up like yeah, it's like always just like all of a sudden and always just like oh my card's full um your card's full my card's oh, full. i deleted my card not your card oh whoops oh yeah your card's really full. yeah well it would be because it said it was full <laughs> it's weird that we give it away that it's full that's why i need pat i'm just gonna try to not forget what i was talking about <laughs> you want to resync the camera cool so this monster just comes in and fucks your shit up and it, you know, all the monsters in that game fuck your shit up. It's kind of how the game works. But the the, the fact that they were like, all right, we're going to give this monster and it's it's very different. Like everyone's like, oh, the music for this monster is so good. It's so unique. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it's the only one that has like it's it specifically starts with the the blaring brass going to the bah, 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 bah. like oh, it okay. lit- not the same tune, but like, you know, it's it's like if you have a tuba going. It's like the Jaws theme where it's like you can you can riff the Jaws theme without playing the Jaws theme and people will be like, oh, this is a rip on the Jaws theme. Yeah. But it's not like a rip off. It's enough of a reference where I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of cool. Like it's a nice subtle nod to the, like the fact, you know, this is like a Japanese made game. And they're like, oh, we're going to nod to like one of the OG Japanese monsters. And I think Tarantino does that, especially with Kill Bill. Like that, like the the Bruce Lee outfit is such just like a like for, like that's just like, you know, Tarantino just likes Bruce Lee just films because he's, he's a like, fucking nerd. He's like, how cool is this? Guys, <laughs> shit? Yeah, so he's just like, I'm just gonna, he's like, I'm not gonna reference it. I'm just gonna put her in it. I'm just he's, gonna fucking do it. Yeah, he like, can't stop me. So he's like, I like samurai swords. <laughs> Fuck it. Like it's, th- but it's it's that reverence to the material I think that helps. Where it's not, he is such a genuine fan of the stuff he references. Yeah, it's, it's not like I mean, that's kind of why I think the Rick and Morty stuff works too. Is that they're clearly nerds about this stuff. Where they're like, they're not just passingly being like, hey, do you guys know the Fantastic Four? They're going. How cool is that? You know, Council of uh, of, of of Reed Richards thing. It's let's, like such a cool concept. Let's 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 riff it. on it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to the writers' room yeah. and fuck around with it. I, yeah. I think that that has to be a deference to the source material that you're actually referencing. That means that when you put it into your work, it synthesizes a new meaning. Otherwise, you are just pointing to something and saying, "Hey, hey, remember that? Hey, remember this?" And that's I think what a lot of not, not to be like 
TV's bad now. Whatever. I think it's, <laughs> that's like a like what a lot of people do now, and they I think they think, and maybe it's social media's fault. I don't know, but I think people think that's like humor or meaning or context now. Is if you can just point to something and say, "Hey, remember, eh?" That somehow, I don't know. Pe- people think that's like clever or interesting or smart now because that's just what social media has reduced that kind of referential material to. Like people post SpongeBob memes, and they're like. Remember SpongeBob, but it doesn't add or, or do anything to the to the context yeah, of the culture. Which is ironic, given that SpongeBob itself does actually have a lot of referential stuff in it, which is really good. That's kind of what I mean, though. Yeah. Same with like Toy Story, where like you watch those original Toy Story films, particularly the first two, and they are so referential. Yeah, but it's it's like they're good, like they're not well, yeah, sort of like in your face. They're good on their own merits, and the yeah. references add meaning to the work that already exists. It, yeah. It's not it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. I think. Maybe that's why I find Tarantino so appealing as a storyteller is, but I mean, Pulp Fiction is a great example where it's so densely layered with references, but they all create and add meaning to the point where it's almost, it's almost like if you don't know any of the things they're referencing. So if you were younger and you watched a Tarantino, like particularly Pulp Fiction, you watch that now. It's almost like not knowing any of of those references, (laughs) it'd be like it exists in like a fantasy world that isn't our own. Like it's almost like it's world building, but it's, on the real world. It's like watching the. It's like watching all the Simpsons as well. You that's, get a, that's a yeah. really. That's a really. Like, good I, I would point. get that a lot as a kid, yeah. where like watching the Simpsons, there'd be some jokes. Like some jokes would go over your head just because they were a bit too smart. But sometimes jokes will go over your head because they're referencing something that you're just not. It's just not your generation. Right. You're just too young for it. But it, it could be the Simpsons, or it could be something that is in our world. Yeah. And that's what I love is when, when, when the references are so interwoven with the world building that you can't delineate between the two. So if you don't get the reference, you can attribute it to being part of the story. Yeah. But then, like, you've got The Simpsons now where a lot of people attribute the fact that it's bad mm-hmm. to just, like, the modernization of its referential humor. Where, it, like, it'll have episodes with Lady Gaga. And you're like, it's like, Lady Gaga's in this episode. And you're like, it's a bit weird. <laughs> Do you think that's why Tarantino is immune to that criticism? Because he doesn't make films set in the modern day. Like his new one that's coming out is set in like the seventies in Hollywood. Like he's just staying just far away. He, well, he's he's staying in his away. wheelhouse, right? Right. Yeah. Which is like when he grew up in the stuff he loves. I yeah. think maybe that's that's the real trick. Well, I, I trick think. To that. Yeah. I think like we're gonna we're gonna slowly come to a point where like Tarantino just doesn't really go past the year two thousand. Um, well, ever. That's the the shit he knows. Yeah, because he's he's such a goddamn film nerd for right. films before. You know, just, like, he has a very specific before like, he started making well, films, <laughs> films and music. Like his whole yeah. referential kind of touchstone is like that stuff. So I, I wonder if that's why he's so hesitant to like work with people like Marvel or like work on big properties. He's talked about it before where he's like, I just don't get the modern zeitgeist. Like I, mm. my thing was this time period. I'm gonna stick with that, yeah. and I'm, I'm gonna keep improving and keep doing my thing. But that's kind of where he lands. So I wonder if that's not related as well. Um, if if he kind of like immunizes himself against that sort of criticism by just. Like he's not going to become the new Simpsons because he's not trying to then stay up to date. Stay up to yeah, <laughs> yeah. stay current because he doesn't need to. Yeah. You know, he's not making films for um, you know sixteen, eighteen year olds. He's making films for thirty five, fifty year olds. Like that's his target demo now. Yeah, you know he's I mean? he's sort of doing that thing where sort of like Harry Potter did it, where it sort of moved and shifted with the audience with that the audience. started with it like tarantino kind of just always target like he's always pulling in new people like as soon as people get old enough to watch tarantino films people tend to get into tarantino films he's not shifting down like he's not moving to where the money is he's kind of just staying where he is and going yeah they'll they'll grow up (laughs) they'll get old enough (laughs) no they'll get it eventually yeah (laughs) which which is kind of cool and and you know sure he he is dense and he is in some ways intellectual 
I don't think that he's like the. I don't. I don't think that he's. Well, while he is an auteur, I don't think that he sort of has this reverence of like intellectuality that some people kind of try and apply to him. I think. I think similar to what we talked about last time. Like he's. You know, if if you're doing a film with Tarantino, you you yourself, regardless of your previous experience, would probably start just kind of towing the line. Definitely. Not towing the line, or sort of. You know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't butt heads with Tarantino. You'd be like, what do you know? You're not Tarantino. Right. So it's, you you know, he, he's able to put his vision forward Definitely. without too much, like, pushback. Definitely. And and I think that's maybe, maybe that's part of, and we'll talk about it in the post show, but I think it's part of what makes him so interesting in a modern age where so many films are written by committee. He's just this weird, like, outlier in the whole process. And yeah. I find him deeply fascinating. But yeah, I, I, I think Reservoir Dogs is a weird symptom of the way his career started. And I'm kind of interested to see his latest film and see how that played out because Hateful Eight was very weird and different. Yeah. So I'm excited to see this one, which looks totally different again. So we're going to cover it next week, but hopefully, sort of, hopefully, it gives us something really interesting to talk about because I think always when I come out of his films, regardless of anything else, I'm always thinking about them deeply. Yeah. And that's not something you can say for every director or every writer. Do you have any recommendations for this week? Shit, uh, I've been listening to. Um, uh bloody rich brian's new album the so sailor. good the sailor it's so good it's so good it's so good it's got, such an album got that shit on repeat which doesn't happen very often yeah it's really um, rare for you because i do that all the time but it's, yeah. it's such an album i think by the time this goes up king Giz, their new album will be out it comes out tomorrow for us this is going in the present next week yeah it'll it'll already be out yeah. and i'm going to preemptively say that i'm going to be listening to that on repeat so i love it yeah speaking of repeat uh, I've been replaying Dark Souls 3. Oof. Uh, I'm, I'm up to the final boss again. Yeah. Eldritch. Um, no, I haven't even started DLC yet. That's a fucking hard game, man. Yeah. I'm also replaying New Vegas, and I'm rewatching Star Trek Next Generation. I live in the past, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. That can't be a surprise to anyone. Yeah. I've also been bumping the new Rich Brian album, and Horror Show have a new single out. Um, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Eyes closed. It's mm. chill as hell. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it's a little nostalgia trip. You it know, is, if, you have yeah. a feeling, if you're feeling a little bit lonely and you're feeling like maybe you don't have as many <laughs> friends as you used to, give that one a bump. In your car late at night. It's going to do you some good. As the Patreons will know, hopefully by the time this goes up, Aaron and I are working on a project at the moment, a video project. Um, And if you are a Patreon, uh, then be sure to let me know what you think of the kind of rough outline. It's going to be wild. Um, I'll tell you about it after, but we got some dumb ideas. Talk about it in post-show. Yeah, classic David not telling me things before we start. Well, look, we we didn't have time before we started. Where can people find us? Facebook. (laughs) At DCMWorks. YouTube. YouTube.com slash DCMWorks. Twitter. At DCMWorks. Patreon. Patreon.com slash DCMWorks. Currently the only place to get the post-show. Uh, we haven't. We don't live stream. We haven't yet. Because yeah, we haven't yet reorganized our set to facilitate live streaming again. It's coming. Adam's on my ass about it, so it's going to happen. Patreon.com/slash/DCMworks starts at three dollars a month. You get access to over sixty plus hours of behind the scenes content, early access to kind of the weird video projects we're working on. You get behind the scenes on those projects, things like you know if if, uh, we get some videos coming up with interviews with people, we're going to post the full interviews there, not just kind of the ones that fit into the videos. We're thinking like dev diaries as we go through videos as well. Adam and I have a few coming up as well. So like, it's just kind of the best place to support us. You get extra content. We view it more as a subscription than like a donation. So you can go there and check us out. Otherwise, we have a Discord server now. Um, there's a link in the show notes to join it. Um, you can find out what we're going to cover the next week if we haven't talked about it in the show. Um, we ask feedback, comments, ideas from you guys that we cover in the post show. Um, also, it's just a good place to hang out, get some music recommendations, yeah, um, and just chill. You know, share some memes, share some spice memes, share some memes. We don't, we don't do a lot of memes, but, but when we do, when we do, they're oh, good ones. 
Very good. And it's also a good place to just hear my stream of consciousness as yeah. I slowly become unraveled. As he screams into the void. Yeah, I'm hoping someone will listen. No one ever does. <laughs> um, otherwise, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DCMI Hate Pie. I'm at Literal Citrus. We'll see you guys next week.